this week we observed National Financial Advisor Day. I'm telling you, there's a day for everything. So that brings me to want to talk about some financial issues with one of the best financial issue attorneys here in Chicago. Andrew Stoltman is a nationally recognized legal expert on the issue of suing uh, litigation, doing litigation, uh, going up against Wall Street, brokerage firm, insurance companies, and registered investment advisor. He's an adjunct professor of law at Northwestern and co-author of the book Waging War on Wall Street, My Battles Suing Banks and Brokerage Firms and How You Can Win Too. He's a legal analyst all over the place, national news and here in Chicago. Hi, Andrew. Welcome back to the show. How are you? Hi, Karen. I am doing well. I, I didn't win the lottery last night, so maybe I'm I'm not doing as well as I hoped I did, but I'm here. So you I'm can't, here. yeah, can't quit your day job yet, and you certainly don't want to do radio because that's not the way to make money. I'll tell you that. <laughs> not that I'm complaining. Uh, I love no, my job. I, I, I love my job. It's always the job that doesn't pay as much that you love, isn't that true? <laughs> yeah, of course. I love being a lifeguard, but you know that's not a good career move. Um, let's let's start with the lottery law. I just think it's really interesting, and and I know you've brought this up before that 80 percent of people who have won the lottery end up going broke in five years. I mean, tell us a little bit about what problems people have when they win a lottery. I guess we're up to, what, $400 million on the jackpot as we sit here. Yes, nobody won it last night, so it looks like now it'll be close to $420 million wow. tomorrow. And, and, you know, it's really surprising because the perception is once you win the lottery, you're set. And there is some truth to that, but the old curse of the lottery really is true. Uh, as you alluded to, about 80% of all people within five years who won the lottery are broke, and there are myriad reasons for that. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's family members coming hat in hand. It's given a very large chunk of money to people who don't typically have that infrastructure set up to manage such a big chunk of money. Uh, you know, you, you have issues like drugs, alcohol, and a whole different sort of stress that comes into winning the lottery. Now, I know what you're going to say. Most people say, you know what, I'll take those problems anyways. <laughs> right. but it's shocking to people to hear that that higher percentage end up broke. So um, in taking the money, uh, I know that some states allow you to take it like anonymously or through a trust. First of all, in Illinois, is not one of those states. Am I right about that? That's correct. Okay. And so just why is that? Why, why does Illinois make you state your name when you turn in your tickets and you collect your $420 million? Well, there's the stated reason, and then there's the real reason. The stated reason is because the lottery officials in these states that don't allow people to claim it anonymously say sunlight is the best disinfectant. We need to make certain that lottery officials or their relatives aren't winning the lottery. In reality, Karen, that's bull. In reality, they do it because the single best way for lottery folks to sell more tickets is to put that individual who won the lottery up in front of the cameras, have a picture taken with that giant uh, check, and it just feeds into the perception that, gee, I actually have a chance to win it. Now, you and I both know the chance is really about one in 300 million, but it sure is a great, great commercial for the lottery folks. And I think it's unconscionable because when you publicize their name and their image, those people become targets for really unscrupulous and, for that matter, even scrupulous financial advisors, accountants, CPAs, lawyers, and people like that. So if you get some huge lump sum uh, or you're entitled to it, should you take it over time or should you take it as a lump sum? And how do you make that determination? Well, it's interesting. 95% of the people who win the lottery take it as a lump sum. 
in reality, the best thing that most people can do is take the payments over the 20 or 25 year time horizon. Because Karen, as you know, a lot of the people who win the lottery just don't have the team of accountants, CPAs, financial advisors, lawyers set up to help them manage this sum of money. So people take that lump sum distribution and then they make what I call catastrophic mistakes. And guess what? When you take it as a lump sum distribution, as opposed to spread over 25 years, you you, you can't learn those lessons that you could if you were getting the chunk of money in 20 or 25 uh, year increments. We're talking with Andrew Stoltman, who uh, basically uh, has a practice where he goes up against Wall Street banks, uh, registered financial advisors. Uh, I know you've represented uh, some lottery winners here, um, but you know what, what do you do when? How, who do you suspect? Like, I guess I, I look at this and I think if you won four hundred million dollars, could you even trust your lawyers? Could you even trust your accountants? Could you even trust your financial advisors? And how do you have these particular professionals? Like, watch each other. Karen, that is exactly it. You can't just trust one individual. You have to have multiple sets of eyes with everybody watching each other. And in reality, at the end of the day, it comes down to you. Because I remember the old Reagan uh, saying, trust but verify. Yes. It's it's a little bit of the same for lottery winners. They have to take the time to learn exactly how money should be managed. They should be looking for withdrawals from their accounts that they don't understand or big investment losses. And yes, you need the CPA watching the financial advisor, watching the attorney, and all three or four of them watching one another. But the lottery winner has to be watching them as well. You know, I want to ask you one more question. Then can you stay on for another segment? I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to open up the phone lines. I'm going to have people call in with legal questions. And if you want to jump in, if they have questions about financial issues, uh, they can call here. How, how does that sound? Okay. Sounds like a plan. Okay, great. Um, so I guess I want to ask you this. We're, let's turn our attention to what you do for a living, which is mostly you you look at, you represent people who have been defrauded in some ways or have, uh, had financial advisors uh, commit negligence when it comes to their money. Can you give us in like about 30 seconds what it is you do in that regard? Yeah, the biggest thing I do day in and day out are the unsuitable investment recommendations. Now, of course, not everybody who loses money has a case against Wall Street. But if you're retired, if you have conservative investment objectives, if you're unsophisticated, you don't understand this, and you get extraordinarily aggressive investments, you know, you get stuff on margin or leveraged investments, you may have a potential case, and people are surprised, but that goes on every single day of the week because of the incentives set up by financial advisors to recommend riskier products instead of safer ones. And they have that incentive because what? They make more money by doing so. Exactly. A riskier investment usually pays a financial advisor more than, say, a government bond or a government bond fund. It just seems um, it seems wrong that that could be the case. But I think lawyers get accused of that, too. You know, the more time you spend on my case, the more money you make. And that's why you have to have a good lawyer, a trustworthy lawyer who will say, I know I can make more money. But what I really want to do is get you the best result 
quickest possible, cheapest for you, and have you go out and say, Karen Conti's the best lawyer there is, you know? Karen, that's it. That's it. I mean, that's a perfect advertisement. That is exactly it, but most people don't do that, and they end up getting burned, or at a minimum, they end up spending more money than they should. Absolutely. So we're here with Andrew Stoltman. He's going to stay on the line. If you have any questions about financial advisors, uh, investments uh, that you've had that you question, that you think you might have a lawsuit, or any questions about the lottery, or any questions about anything, give us a call here between Andrew and me. We'll try to figure it out. 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. You'll talk to my producer. You'll tell him your legal issue, and we'll get you on the phone, and hopefully we'll be able to help you up. We're here uh, on WGN on the Karen Conti Show. We're here with Andrew Stoltman talking about financial advisors. He's a nationally recognized legal expert in the issue of suing securities firms, insurance companies, and registered investment advisors when they do bad things like take your money and don't uh, don't really consider your best interest. We're taking calls here on all legal topics, but if you have one about that very topic, we welcome it right now. 312-981-7200. I'm going to put Andrew back on. Hi, Andrew. I think Beth has a question that might be right up your alley. Beth, hi. Welcome to WGN. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, you- we, it's probably a very basic question to you, but we, um, are, we have a retirement account, and we recently asked to take $6,000 out, and our financial advisor said it will cost us, five. I believe it was $575, and I was a little shocked, and he said, it's not a fee to take your money out. It's uh, a tax withholding. Okay, hold on a second. We got to get we got to get Andrew back on. Yeah, Andrew fell off there, right? Okay. Okay, hold on, hold on. But listen. Okay, let me let me do this. Let me put let me put you on hold. I'm going to put you on hold, and I'm going to go to. Um, eh, these are all financial issues for Andrew too. So I'm waiting for him to come back on. And let's do this, Beth. I'm sorry. Can you start again? I just want to make sure. Could you start again on this? I apologize. Sure. Okay. Sure. Um, we want, we called our financial advisor. We needed to take $6,000 out of our account. And he said it would cost us $575. And when I was a little shocked at that, he said, it's not a fee to take your money out. It's a tax withholding. Um, so can you explain that to me? That sounds like a lot of money for $6,000. Andrew, are you on? No, he's not on yet. Hi, Andrew. Yes, I'm on. Okay. Yes, Did you hear that question back. that she was she wanted to take six thousand dollars out from her investments? The advisor said it was five hundred and seventy five dollars and it wasn't a fee, but it was a tax withholding. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, that that I wouldn't be concerned about that at all. Uh, that's legitimate. You either have to pay it at the time you do your taxes or the time you take the money out. I actually think it's relatively prudent to have that money held back or taken out, if you will at the time the investment is being sold or liquidated. I wouldn't be worried about that. Does that answer your question, Beth? Oh, all right, Beth, thank you. Thank you for the call. Let's go to uh, Tootie. Uh, let's go to Tootie. Tootie, you are on WGN. Hi. Hi. Uh, 30, 30 years ago, I invested $5,000 Ricky Trust with Edelman Financial. Recently, they took ownership away from me and gave it to the beneficiary. I sent them two letters. They do not answer. Okay, I'm sorry. We're not going to mention names, but what you you invested five thousand dollars thirty years ago, and then they did what? They took ownership away of the investment 
and gave it to the beneficiary I listed. Uh, yeah, so uh, that sounds that sounds suspicious. You, you may want to just put something in writing, ask for confirmation. They can't take an investment and simply give it to your beneficiary. There might be some sort of a misunderstanding. Uh, if that was done, it's you no, know, it's problematic. Uh, and you might want to consider contacting the Illinois Securities Department, Tanya Solov, the commissioner, and her entire crew there. They might be able to help you out because they can't just change ownership on an investment like that. Okay. Well, they, I sent two letters. They don't answer. Now, repeat. Whom do I report this to? There's the Illinois Securities Department, and if you just Google them, you'll find their their 800 number. You'll find an email address. They've got a great team of people who can who can help you out with a situation like that. The Illinois Securities Department. Great. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. You know, uh, are they are you know a lot of these agencies that you hear about insurance the Department of Insurance? I just don't think they really help you out. Like if you have a problem with your insurance, I've never had the Illinois Department of Insurance like really solve the problem or even do any due diligence or investigation. But are you telling me the Illinois uh, Department of Se- uh, Securities will do those kinds of things and help people in these situations? In, in, in real egregious cases, yes, they will. You know, like most government agencies, they're understaffed and there are far too many problems for them to go after. But if it's an egregious situation, a financial advisor taking your money or doing what was alleged in that last call, they are good ones to talk to because they can help out. They won't in all cases, but in more egregious ones, they can be fantastic. Good. That's good to know. And it's uh, and it's good for the public, too, because you want to get these bad people off the streets if, in fact, they're doing something wrong. Or in this case, maybe it, it wasn't wrong. Maybe she's got a misunderstanding. We just don't we don't know. And again, we're answering questions without seeing paperwork. We don't know all the facts. So we're just trying to steer you in the right direction and not really give you specific legal advice. Kathy, you have a question uh, has to do with uh, a, a family business. Welcome to the yeah. show. Thank you very much. Um, my two brothers inherited my father's business. The older brother has uh, 57% of the business. The younger one has the 43%. Can the older brother stop paying the younger brother's salary? Well, that just, I mean, it all depends on what the, you know, the partnership agreement, the corporate agreement says. Uh, you know, that sounds like an issue between the brothers, and, and there are probably some governance instructions that kind of cover that. So I, I can't really say, but, you know, they should hash that out, look at the documents, and kind of make that determination. So let's yeah, just they're, say... They're probably locked up in the vault, which we can't get at. And uh, my oh. older brother seems like he runs everything, and it's, you know, it's it's causing the family to have arguments, so... So I was hoping to have, you know, an answer. So is the the brother with the smaller percentage, is he working and he's not getting paid because the... Right. He tells me I'm still going to work because I'm doing it to respect for our parents. Well, that doesn't... he's not getting paid. That doesn't sound right. And also, I mean, Andrew, would you agree that there's a possibility of buying out his interest? So, you know, there's a possibility if you could value the business, get somebody to come in and value it, and maybe the older brother should buy him out. And then he can get out with a chunk of money and go work elsewhere or do something else. Yeah, Karen, yeah. that said, other than other than divorces, probably the nastiest legal fights we see are those business breakups. 
doubly so uh-huh. when it involves family, but there is a way financially out of it, and buying one party out is probably the best way to do it. Yeah, otherwise it's just, yeah. it's a constant uh, struggle and a constant fight, and it's very, very stressful. Like you said, it's it, it like neighborhood disputes, neighbor disputes, divorces, and these kinds of disputes are really, really toxic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, There's four buildings that the four children own, and um, one tenant moved out, and now we're not getting any rent or anything. None of us. Yeah, well, this is something that maybe you want to consult a lawyer, all four of you want to consult a lawyer, and maybe go to some sort of mediation. You know, maybe that's a, a first step if everybody agrees to come together and try to resolve these issues, because if you've got siblings that are all angry at each other, that's not a good thing. But um, if you want to give me a call, I can maybe steer you in the right direction and certainly give you Andrew's number if uh, he's the, the lawyer to take this case. But thank you for calling, Kathy. Appreciate okay. it. All right. Can, can I have your number? Sure. I'm going to put you on hold and I'm going to uh, give you my number 312-332-7800. The best way to reach me is email, which is WGN at AskKarenConti.com. And I'm going to say goodbye to you in one minute. But Andrew, how do you give, how do you find a good financial advisor? If you've got about 40 seconds to tell our listeners, how do you vet people? Do you look them up on Google? Do you, how do you, how do you find a good person? Yeah, that's a great question and really, really is hard. I always tell people, start with somebody who you trust and find out who their financial advisor is. The great thing about Google, then, is you can enter that name and you can see everything, the ripoff reports. Uh, you can find out whether there have been any lawsuits. And, you know, it's the old adage where there's smoke, there's fire. If the financial advisor is with one of the big firms, the Merrill Lynch's, the Morgan Stanley's, firms like that, you can go to what's called FINRA's Broker Check, F-I-N-R-A, Broker Check, and type in the financial advisor's name. And any complaints that have been logged against him will pop up. And, and, you know, obviously someone with 3, 10, 15 complaints, that's an uber red flag. It's obviously important, too, to trust or to interview the person, to meet with them and see if you have that confidence level. See if they're uh, a fast talker. And most importantly, I always tell people a good financial advisor has to put a bib on you and, in effect, spoon feed you the risks of the investments. And if they're not doing that and you're not comfortable, don't go with that financial advisor. Andrew Stoltman, thank you so much for joining us. How can people uh, contact you? Can you give out your phone number quickly? Sure. 312 332-4200. Thank you so much for helping us out today. Uh, you take care and happy Financial Advisor Day to you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Karen.